All right, we are uh, starting something different today, uh, still a continuation of evangelism by Jesus, as we see how Jesus evangelizes on a very um, touchy subject, even back then, the issue of money. And this message was really attended uh, for the Pharisees, because the Pharisees generally were extremely wealthy, all right? Um, extremely wealthy. And so God is going to speak today, God is going to speak today to our hearts about money. Uh, and one of the things I want to give your attention to about this topic is it's not about tithing. It's not about a formulaic approach. I'm, I'm not doing that. Uh, rather, this is how God views money. Uh, and that phrase that Jesus said, he who is faithful in the little is faithful in the much, when you really drill down, what he meant with faithful in the little was money. Jesus viewed the money as the little. Isn't that extraordinary? That was the little. The fact that he had given you this, that everything that you have is, is his, uh, and that we need to have an understanding that everything that God has given you, uh, all your assets, uh, all your affluence is from uh, God. And when you approach it like that, then you don't sit around asking for a formula net or gross or 10% or 20%. It's irrelevant. You don't think that way because you recognize that he gave it to you. Uh, and this message today is not just about people in the pews. It's about guys that stand in the front of the church. Some of you may not want to hear this, but I'm sorry to say that, that uh, I'm indicting today Many people who consider themselves men of God, many people who have been called to preach, many televangelists who have made millions upon millions of dollars, uh, and frankly, it's a sin uh, when you use the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God has granted you an anointing, uh, and that anointing then is turned into a bank, uh, and I have recently learned that some of the, the uh, televangelists have made hundreds of millions of dollars. I recently uh, came across an expose of Kenneth Copeland, uh, and I found that his net worth is $750 million. Are you kidding me? $750 million? This is an outrage. All right? And then I, I saw a, a YouTube video, and you can see this yourself when you go home. Go on YouTube. Uh, and just put in uh, a discussion for private airplane needs between, Kevin, uh, between Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Dupay. Uh, and in it, you will see a 10-minute dialogue in which they talk about why they needed to have Gulfstream jets. Uh, and, the, and the basic reason was, that Copeland said, was because there were demons in the commercial airline and they couldn't praise God. What would Jesus say? <laughs> then he told him, said something that astounded me even more. He said that Oral Roberts had determined that he needed to be on a private plane because when he flew commercially, people would come up to him and ask him to pray for him, for them. Yeah. See, do you see, do you see how sin creeps in? It's not just the congregation. Do you understand? So we got to hold even our spiritual leaders to responsibility. I want you to know this. This message for you is this. 
Yes, God is holding you responsible, but you hold your church responsible. You see that your church is the right kind of a steward, that the money that is given to the church is spent in accordance with the will of God, not to lift up our bank accounts. You be responsible for that. Amen? Amen. All right. So as we drill down into Luke chapter 16, um, uh, verses 1 to 15, let me give you an overview about this. And that is this. Jesus spoke more about money than any other single subject. I was amazed when I studied this. Actually, one-sixth of the Gospels deal with money. How about that? One-sixth of the Gospels. Twelve of the 38 parables that Jesus wrote and gave us deal with money. Uh, and, and you wonder why? Well, a study revealed several years ago, they studied how the average American male spent his time, and they found that 50% of the time that we spend uh, outside of work is spent relating to our money, 50%. Uh, and so when you recognize that this issue has really uh, encroached into our lives, has overveyed so much of what we've done, it's important that we say, what does God say about this? What is God? What's God's will? And so this is a story about a steward who is trying to beat the system, okay? This isn't about a good guy, uh, and it's interesting because Jesus uses this parable and is teaching this us about how the people in the world act, um, and he was accused of cheating his employer uh, and realizing that his days of employment were coming to an end because the employer had found out that he was being cheated. He decided he would go out to the people that owed the employer money and cut deals with them where he would slash what they owed if they paid quickly. Uh, and the reason that he did this is he knew he would be out of work. So what a better way to, to prepare the way for your unemployment than to know that the people that owed money would be indebted to you and open the door for you. And so this is a story about how people in this world act. Uh, and, and so it's important for us to understand this. And Jesus is going to use this to show you how hard people in the world act about their carnal needs, about money. And Jesus is saying that if those children of the light, those people who are called to my kingdom, spent that kind of time about worrying about God's work, about what God needed, about what needed to be done in this world, how much better uh, we would be. And so Jesus is going to tell us how, in fact, all of this affects our rewards when we get to the other side. Uh, and now here's something that I want to emphasize to you. You know how you've heard the phrase uh, that you can't take it with you? You can't take it with you? But I'm going to tell you something. When you're a Christian, you can send it on ahead. You can send it on ahead. I want you to remember that. And that's what this message is about. It's about a recognition of the fact that what you have the assets that you have were given to you. You are a steward. What are you going to do now with what God gave you? How are you going to advance the kingdom of God? Uh, and we're going to hear Jesus speak about this very subject. So turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? 
Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master, the, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will, he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. I want to repeat that last sentence. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. Now, just as I started by indicting um, those people who sit in the front of our churches who preach on television, and it's not all, uh, it's a minority, but it's a, it's a malignant minority. You see here the Pharisees were the same way. These were the religious elite, but they were covetous. They were greedy. Uh, they, they were wealthy, and, and being wealthy is not a sin. Being wealthy is not a sin, but being in love with the riches, in love with the affluence, and putting that first in every step of your life is a sin, all right? And it becomes a malignant poison in your life. You know, one of the lessons that my, my father drilled into me as a kid was if anybody gave me a dollar, uh, even from the age of like eight or nine, I'd have a jar, and I would take 10 cents of the dollar and put it in the jar. Now, I did that as a kid, all right? And here's the thing. When you take that and do that as a kid, as a child, and you begin that, that development of character, the poison of the money is taken out. You understand? The poison is removed because all of a sudden, it's not about how much can I get, how much can I hold, all right? Where, where am I going to make my next killing? Instead, the question is, what does God want with this money? What does God want with this? How am I supposed to do this and use it for God's will? 
I mean, this, this becomes a critical thing. Look, I'm not preaching to you about tithing. The, the needs of the kingdom of God are enormous. Enormous. You have no idea how, how people are in need and how they're suffering. And God lays it on our hearts to reach out to people. And how are you supposed to reach out? You start reaching out with your money, with your affluence. Then with your love and your care, all right, and your time. It's all God's. But the problem is that for many of us, we have compartmentalized our life. And, and this part about money, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it, okay? We're not, we don't want to hear it. And God is speaking to our hearts about this in this message. Uh, and, and what's interesting to me is that you see Jesus, uh, how Jesus evangelizes. Here he's giving this parable, and he's talking about a, a money manager uh, who was a, a disreputable guy, and he doesn't, he doesn't go after the guy. He doesn't go after the guy. In fact, he uses what the guy has done to show how people in the world shrewdly advance their own interests. Um, and so this becomes an, a very important uh, parable to study as God is teaching us really uh, about what God thinks is important. And so when God speaks there to you about he who has been entrusted with the little will be entrusted with the much, the little is money. That's what God thinks of money. It's the little, all right? It's the little. Now, we don't think that way. We think of money as the, as the much, as the much, but it's not the much. Uh, and so God is speaking to us about how we are supposed to handle the kingdom. Look, the story illustrates the way of the world, and that is that people look out for their own advantage. They do what benefits themselves. Um, and shrewdness in this world can bring even praise and earn friends who will welcome you. What is truly interesting in this conversation uh, that Jesus has started is the way Jesus applies the story. The sons of this world uh, are more shrewd than the sons of light. That's in verse 8. The sons of this world are more shrewd than the sons of the light. Uh, Jesus says the prop that people in this world Look out for themselves in dealing with each other. They are, they are shrewd about advancing their own advantage. They are always thinking about their future prosperity and security. Can we say the same about us thinking about our future life, being thinking about when we will face Jesus, thinking about the advancement of the kingdom of God? Do we think that way? Do we get up every day? and think, how can I advance the kingdom of God? What can I do to make God's work be better? Who needs to be helped? Uh, and so Jesus is challenging the sons of light. You, me, the sons of light. Uh, and so are we sensible enough? Are we sensible enough to plan for our eternal future? Do we, are we beginning to understand what this is about? And I told you, that, that you need to understand that you can't send it ahead. That you can't send it ahead. Meaning what? God looks at how you handle the issues in this life as it relates to how you use your money. And God will reward you. He will reward you for that. God will see what you have done to advance the kingdom of God, uh, and he will reward you on the other side. Now, you're not doing this to get salvation, we don't get salvation because of our works, but we get rewards on the other side 
when Jesus looks at us as to what we have done to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, and so uh, here's the point. This is how you lay up treasures in heaven. And this is a sobering word from Jesus. Um, and so uh, we can live by the wisdom of the sons of the world if we understand that we need to devote that same kind of attention to the kingdom of God. We need to care about those who are around us, who are needy, who are suffering, and how can we advance the kingdom of God. Uh, and so here's the first rule to understand about this, that for Christians, we have to acknowledge that money is not true riches. All right? Money is not true riches. If you've spent your life trying to accumulate money, all right, and that has been the central goal of your life, then I'm sorry you have wasted your life. You have misspent your life, all right? Because that's not the central aspect of what God wants you to do. God is looking for you to advance the kingdom of God. And as you have given yourself to God, God has poured himself into you. And as he pours himself into you, he gives you talents and gifts and then money. And as that comes into you, if all you do is thinking of accumulating more money, you have lost the reason that God has blessed you. He has blessed you to advance the kingdom of God. That's why God has blessed you, to advance the kingdom of God. Uh, and some of us have been, have been blessed enormously, enormously. And that's why to he was received much, much is expected in return. What do you think is going to happen when you get on the other side and Jesus sits down with your video? You're going to think he's going to want to go over your stock portfolio? Did a good job. Did a good job. Instead, he's going to look to you and say, what have you done? What have you done for me? How have you advanced the kingdom of God? What have you done to, to move the needle, to, to impact this world? Uh, and so you see it, that we will one day have a reckoning with God, and that's what Jesus is speaking about. Now, the sad fact here is that the religious leaders were deficient. The Pharisees were sold out to money. They were sold out to money. They, excuse me, they were wealthy. Uh, and, and what happens? Because of that wealth, they were greedy, and they wanted more money. And they didn't understand that they were sitting in the midst of people that had great need. They didn't care about it. Their hearts were, were locked against it. All they cared about was acquiring more and more and more. And so we have to understand that one day we will have a reckoning with God. Yes, you're saved. I'm not talking about you losing your salvation. You're saved. We talk about this. This is day one. All right, you're saved. But this is part of day two. You understand? Money is part of day two. Understanding what it means and how God expects us to treat others and to treat our money. Uh, and so... Uh, I want you to take a, a look at a couple of verses. I want you to turn to Psalm 19, if you would. Psalm 19, verse 10. We'll start with the verse before it, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. You see how God puts money in a secondary position, understanding that. Look also at Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 
Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. You understand how valuable it is that God, what God has given you? How God has given you salvation? God has given you the kingdom of heaven. All right? Nothing else in this world can compare to the kingdom of heaven. And so instead, many of us have taken the kingdom of heaven, put it aside, and focused our, our attention to money, possessions, the influence of this world, instead of focusing on the things that God really wants us to do. So do we think, do we think of, uh, of what God has given us? Do we think of, of what God has given us as a means of blessing other people? Do you think that? Do you get up every day and think, Lord, how do you want me to bless your work? How do you want me to advance your work? What am I going to do today, Lord? What am I going to do? What's the call on my life today to bless your work? How am I going to do that? Uh, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Whoa, wow, what a powerful set of verses we have there, understanding exactly what, what God is saying That Do not be arrogant in riches. Do not be arrogant in your affluence. Do not be arrogant to think that you've got it all covered, that your portfolio covers everything, that you can walk through life and, and be blithely unaffected. Because here's the thing, you're only one short diagnosis away from having to give it all up. And so if you're sold out to riches, sold out to wealth, you're missing the picture that God has laid out for you of the, of the kingdom of God. And so we want to be able to teach others and start with ourselves to let them know that, that God expects us to bless other people. Okay? Bless other people. That means that's not only churches that you give your money or, or, or uh, ministry things. But, but sometimes there are people that are just in need. They're just in need. And God tells you that if you see this, that your heart should be pricked. Uh, God wants us to affect those and to understand that the work that we do on behalf of the kingdom of God is going to advance what God wants us to do in this world and will be count on your behalf on the other side. Now, here's the thing. Don't go around with like a little schedule, and think, how many points have I built up today in heaven? Well, I want that heavenly bank account to really be big, all right? Because you see, if that's what you're doing, then, then again, you're missing the boat, uh, because that's not humility. That's arrogance, all right? 
Instead, what you should do when you get up every day is to thank God that he has blessed you, to thank God that he has saved you, to thank God that he's put you in a position where you can do these things, and to humbly ask God what he wants you to do. Now, here's the thing. You ask God, Lord, how do you want me to advance the cause of Christ? And he will tell you. And sometimes it'll be with your mouth, all right? It'll be with your life, and sometimes it will be with your assets. But whatever it is, when you get up and you give it all to him, you turn it all over to him, it's an, it's an, an incredible decision that you will make. And you will find that you will never then be poisoned by the evil of money, that money can in fact poison you. You won't become greedy. You won't become covetous because it's, you recognize it's not yours. How can I be covetous over something that's not mine? How can I be greedy over something that's not mine? Now, look, God doesn't say to you, take everything you got, go and just give it all away and then move out on the curb. Look, this, I mean, be, have some common sense. God expects you to take care of yourself, to take care of the, the people in your family, to, to make certain that, that those people are, are well taken care of. But you don't have to build up a net worth of $750 million if you're a minister. Snap out of it. Snap out of it. You think God gave you the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to preach the word of God so that you could have a gigantic bank account? Where have we gone? This is why I say we give Sodom and Gomorrah a bad name. I'm sorry to say it. We give Sodom and Gomorrah a bad name. All right? Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and I recently learned that there's a guy, a minister, moving from Chicago, moving down here to Naples to start a church, and again, there was another expose by a Chicago radio station, television station. And they found that this guy lives in a $7 million house. Now, how can a minister live in a $7 million house? Where's the sense of propriety to God? Look, understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this, that when you are called to preach the word of God and people give you things, and they bless you with them. There's a responsibility to give back. You understand? There's a responsibility to give back. All right? That's why I promise you that whatever you so generously give to this foundation, not one dollar, not one dollar will go to me because I'm responsible to God. I'm responsible to God. I have to advance the kingdom of God. And so you are stewards for what God has given you. And you are stewards for the churches that you're involved with. And you should hold your ministers and your leaders to the same standard that God is holding you. Can I get an amen? amen. I know some of you are feeling uncomfortable about this. Okay? And I know you're probably going to fire me. That's the, that's the beauty of having this job. You see, that's the beauty of having this job, okay? I'm not responsible to a church. I'm not responsible to a church. I'm not responsible to a denomination. I'm responsible to him. I'm responsible to him, all right? That's who I'm responsible. And I've thought and agonized over this, all right? This isn't easy to say. It's not easy to say, but God is holding us to these standards. And so what I'm saying is God is holding you to the standard then you hold your churches to the standard. 
you hold your leaders to the standard, okay? Because if God has anointed people and given them the position of preaching the word of God, then God expects a higher call. So he who has received much, much is expected in return. Let's never forget it. Um, and, and, I, and I want to drill this down to you. I want you to turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith, but he has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. Can I get an amen on that? All right, so we can go around and opine about the fact that we're saved. We can go around and opine about thanking God that we have faith, and yet we can walk by somebody that, that needs clothes and needs food and is in trouble and just say, ah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Instead of God touching our hearts and doing what God wants us to do, which is to reach out and to use the things that God has given us to help those in need. That's what this is about. That's the extension of faith. That's proving faith. That's what faith is about. It shows us that not only is faith in your heart, but it's in your hands and it's in your feet. And this is what God expects us to do. To first turn to the first epistle of John. First John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. That's the definition of love. All right? Not mere pious words. But, but the movement from our heart to our hands and our feet, and yes, sometimes to our wallet, to see this need and to address this need, that's how God knows you are loving him. That's the nature of the love of God. Look, this is one of these messages where the rubber hits the road. And I want you to understand, this is Jesus who's speaking to us. This is Jesus' parable. It's not John Garippa's parable. Jesus wrote this. Jesus taught this. Jesus spent a majority of his time teaching these issues because he knew the heart of man. Man was greedy and covetous. And there they were, the Pharisees who were the religious elite who should have been demonstrating love for the people with a heart that would be broken for those in need. Instead, they stood there resolute, looking to raise as much money as they could to advantage themselves. Oh, Lord, Jesus, have mercy on us. Mercy on us. So Jesus reflects here also on the issue of faithfulness in little. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in very much. That's the test of God. 
God's testing each and, one of you, each and every one of you. He tests you with the little. Are you faithful in the little? Look, I can tell you in my own personal testimony, when I started in the, in the uh, Bible study, and everything that I did as far as my prior life is of no importance to me. I mean that. I mean that. All right? It's, it's what I'm doing now, as far as I'm concerned, is the most important aspect of my life. And so when God entrusted seven men to come to my house, I viewed that as a heavy responsibility. You understand? I studied just as hard then uh, with the seven men as I do now for 250 people. I didn't ratchet it up because there were more guys that I had. And so God tests that. God looks at that. Are you faithful in the little? When you have a smaller responsibility, do you elevate that responsibility before God? And that's the same for you. That's the same for you. So each one of you is placed in a situation of responsibility. You have people, friends, family that you're responsible for. Are you faithful in the little? Are you raising them up? Are you praying for them? Are you taking care of them? Is God showing you what the needs of others are? And are you stepping up? Because I tell you the truth, that as you are faithful in the little, God will make you faithful in much. He will give you more responsibility. And this is what it's about. When we get to the other side, this is what God means about rewards. It's not about getting a bigger mansion by the ocean when you get over there. All right? It's not about having a boat when you get to heaven. It's about God giving you the responsibility to rule with Jesus in some part of the kingdom of God. Look, I don't understand all of it, but I know this is what God tells you, and this is how God is measuring you. He's looking at the essence of how you spend your life, how you, how you give up what he has given you. And so Jesus is making it clear that God views money as the very little. Uh, he's more interested in what God would call the true riches, and that's justice, mercy, faithfulness, and love of other people. That's the much. Are you loving? Are you faithful? Do you have mercy? Are you kind? Look, we spent four weeks talking about the character of Jesus. Why did we talk about the character of Jesus? Because that's missing for most of our lives. And so you see this characteristic that that's what God thinks is the much, not the money, the much. The greatest wealth, the greatest wealth uh, of all is giving ourselves uh, giving ourselves back to God, giving whatever we have. God, I give you my life. And that's the message that I have for you today. That I want you to leave here saying to yourself, Lord, I'm indicted. Lord, I'm convicted. I'm not going to leave this room and be the same as when I came in. Lord, I promise to give you my life. I will give you my all. I'm yours wherever you want, whatever you need from me, Lord. I will step up. Teach me to show love. Teach me to show mercy. Teach me to show kindness. Teach me to be aware of those people that are in need, and God will give you greater and greater responsibility. You'll see greater responsibility in your life, greater opportunity. And so Jesus is telling us here that, that just like this steward was effectively managing someone else's money, that you're managing someone else's money. God's. That's how God views it. You're managing God's money. Your material blessings do not belong to you. They belong to God. Our wealth comes from the Lord. 
and if you don't believe that, I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 12. We'll start with verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Everything is God's. We're just a finite pawn for a finite period of time inhabiting a small planet. How's that? That's what you are. All right? So don't get a, an overexpansive view of who you are and the impact that you have. And so if, if our material possessions are God's, then what is ours? That's the next question. If the material possessions are all God's, what are ours? Well, it's the inheritance that, that the Holy Spirit has given us, which is ours, which is what? Righteousness, goodness, brotherly kindness, and love. The Holy Spirit has given that to you. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Folks, that's yours. And I'll prove it. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1. Getting the Bibles a workout today, aren't we? 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse uh, 5. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has uh, forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. There it is. Those are the things that belong to you. That's what God has given you. Those very qualities that you've been invested with through the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That belongs to you. God gave that to you through Jesus Christ. All right? Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, uh, uh, godliness, brotherly kindness, love, all those qualities which are not invested in the human condition in this world, but are invested in people of God that have sold themselves out, given themselves in submission to Christ. Those are the qualities that you have. That's what belongs to you. Not your money, not your possessions. Those are the qualities. I mean, this, pretty, this is a pretty serious subject, understanding uh, how deep this is and how God is bringing this all to our, our minds. So you cannot serve, Jesus makes it clear, both God and money. Abraham Lincoln used that, used that very phrase. Uh, a house divided cannot stand, all right? You, must only, you can only serve one master. 
okay? So if, you're, if your master is money by choice, you cannot serve God. Cannot serve God, all right? Uh, and so uh, Jesus makes it very clear. So if you love money, it will control you. Now, don't make, don't make a mistake that John preached about riches today. This is not about riches. In many ways, poor people can be more indicted on this than rich people. When I say poor people, people that have less money. Because you know what? Sometimes people that don't have as much can get caught up just as much with the love of money as somebody that's wealthy. Make no mistake about that, all right? This is not an indictment based on your net worth. It's an indictment based on your heart. Where's your heart? All right, so if you love the money, if it's all about the love of what the money does, the love of the power, the love of the possessions, if that's what it is, then you're not, you're not right with God. You can't serve God. He can't speak to you. You can't generously give away what God wants you to give uh, because you're sold out to the money and recognizing that. And so Jesus is speaking clearly here, clearly to us, about the business practices in the world during that time. He, he's speaking about the culture of that time, but he does not denounce the culture with the same fury as he does with those of the sons of light who are not living in accord with the will of God. When you read this, you come away and say, gee, Jesus, why don't you condemn that steward and the business practice? And in fact, you don't see Jesus doing that. All right? Uh, meaning what? I'm holding those who are accountable, who have received the most, to the greater standard. You see this? He's holding us to the greater standard. We've been saved. He has invested himself in our lives. We've received the Holy Spirit. Now, are we walking in day two the way he expects us to walk? This is all about day two. This is what separates day one from day two an understanding of what it means to take up the cross of Christ, to walk with Christ, to see a world that's hurting, to see people that are in need. Uh, and he is challenging us. Can we teach ourselves to speak with frankness but without condemnation when we reflect on the behavior of those outside the church? That's what Jesus is doing here. All right? He's using these examples to teach those people who are the sons of the life light, how they ought to act. Yet he's not condemning them in this particular message. So that's a lesson for us as well. Hold yourself to the highest standard. Hold yourself to the higher bar. Let other people see how you live your life. Let all these issues of kindness and generosity and brotherly kindness and love permeate your life. And when we see this need, don't let your right hand know what your left hand has done. That's another big deal. Jesus doesn't want you to go parading around, oh, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. Look, when it comes to the kingdom of God, God expects you to act in anonymity. You're acting on behalf of Jesus Christ. You're not acting on behalf of John Garippa or Joe Smith. You're acting because God has saved you and called you, and now your heart is touched about how you have to act with God, the responsibility that you have with what he's given you. Folks, he who has received much, much is expected in return. I want you to reflect on that 
every day, every day of your life. I want you to reflect on that. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you for these words, Father. Have you, have you touched our hearts? Have you made us mindful, Lord, of what it means to walk in the light? How our attitude and our conduct is different from the world, Lord. And how everything we have, we bow before your throne and give it back to you, Lord. It's yours. It's not ours. Give us wisdom. Teach us, Father, how we should do this. Speak to our hearts as we ask you, Lord, to speak and give us this wisdom. Bless our men, Father. Be with them this week and protect them and bring them back safely to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.